All right, now let me read you my text. I'm only going to read one verse this week. It's the 11th verse of Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, what I just read you, that endures forever. Guys, the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel has 33 verses to it. Up to this point, I have covered one half of one verse. Uh, we did that last week, you may recall. But it is a powerful half of a verse because it gives us one of those traits about God, one of those attributes of God that we love to be told. It's by way of negation, and it says, I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So we're told what God isn't in that first half um, of verse 11. But then we come to the second half of verse 11, and I want to remind you as we look at it this morning that it is God who is speaking. If you go back and read in verse 10, you'll see that it says, God says to Ezekiel, you go tell them this. This is what I'm going to say to them. So this is God still speaking in the second half of, of that verse. And it too is a very powerful statement. Um, I want to suggest that it's powerful for a lot of reasons, but it's powerful for its clarity and its pathos. That is, its emotion. Now, maybe that's why I'm drawn to it. I, I don't know. I tend to be somewhat of an emotional guy. Um, I remember early on in our marriage, I read a book entitled, um, Thank God for Crying Wives. And I thought, well, that was a good book, but I want to write a sequel that says, Thank God for Crying Husbands. Because I, I, my wife's a crier, but I'm a crier too. She cries more than I do, but I cry. I cry at movies even. And, and yet, guys, what, what the text seems to be saying, it says it so clearly and with such powerful emotion. Remember, it is God who is saying it. That's perhaps why it's so emotional. And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at this text under two headings. First of all, it's clarity. And second of all, it's pathos. Let's start with the clarity. What verse 11b, that is the second half of verse 11, gives us um, is a clear statement about the only alternative to perishing is to turn. The New Testament has a word. Actually, the whole Bible has a word that maybe you're more familiar with. The only alternative to perishing is repentance. Pretty clear, don't you think? Um, 
Jesus has a lot to say about this subject. In fact, there's a passage in Luke 13 where Jesus says, I would suggest pretty much the same thing that you find here. Do you remember that story in Luke 13 where Jesus was um, commenting upon two news stories, two headline stories that were circulating there in Jerusalem? Uh, two, two current events had occurred in Jerusalem, and he's commenting on them to his audience. One of the events was that Pilate had killed some Galileans, extracted their blood, and used their blood in his pagan sacrifices. That was one story. The other story was that a tower in Siloam, which is kind of the southeast corner of the city of David, uh, a tower there had fallen and had crushed some people underneath it. So Jesus, knowing that the city was abuzz with these stories, kind of like, you know, what happened to us this week? But the city is abuzz with these stories, and he says to his audience, he says, knowing that they think that all suffering was due to sin, which he had corrected already in John 9, but be that as it may, he says to his audience, do you believe that those Galileans were worse sinners than everybody else? You know, the ones whose blood that Pilate used? You think they were worse than everybody else? And then in good King James language, he says, I tell ye nay. Or he says, no, no. They weren't bigger sinners than anybody else. And then he goes on to say, and I say unto you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he addresses the other event, the tower in Siloam that fell and crushed people. And he said, do you think those people were worse sinners than the, than the other people in the city of Jerusalem? And Jesus says again, I tell ye nay. No, they're not worse sinners. And he goes on and says it again. He repeats himself and says, I say to you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Because you see, the only alternative to perishing is repentance. You know, Jesus displayed compassion to the suffering on numerous occasions in the New Testament. But in that passage in Luke 13, he's speaking to a broader issue, and that issue is the well-being of the soul. And he says there, unless you repent, you will perish. Just like our text in Ezekiel 33. Turn. Turn from your wicked ways. Or you will perish. Pretty clear. Let me mention three quick things. First of all, Gang, the fact, just the mere fact that there is any alternative at all is an accomplishment of sheer grace. Think about it, guys. Um, repentance doesn't eliminate the things that we've done in the past. I mean, for a crude example, I mean, if I were to if I were to murder you, 
and then later come to repentance and faith in Christ, it doesn't bring you back to life. You're still dead. And and there's no merit in repentance. Folks, the the, the past um, things that I have done still have created a debt that have to be paid, that has to be paid. But the grace is, ladies and gentlemen, that God has decided to punish another for the debt that I created. He provides a substitute that pays the debt of my sin. However, if there is no repentance, you will bear your own punishment. But guys, for the moment, Let's just start here with rejoicing that God has seen fit to provide any alternative at all. That alternative being repentance, or in the language of Ezekiel 33, turning. So I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm here to give you some good news. There is an alternative to perishing And it's very clearly, very succinctly, very briefly said right here. Turn. Turn from your sin. Now, gang, last week, the second thing I want to say is that last week we saw that I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And then the text goes on, but turn. Because you see, he does take pleasure when we turn. Um, at at the very first moment when when I begin to experience grief over my sin and and a revulsion at what I have become and when I begin to find that my heart is sick of my own sin and that I want out of it. God takes pleasure in that. When we begin to cry out, God be merciful to me, the sinner, God is pleased. Sort of like a, like a mother who is watching her infant daughter take her first steps. But gripped now by this sense of my own sin, I go on from there to embrace the remedy that he has provided for sin. That, of course, being Christ. I say, Father, I'm not worthy, but God, you in your word said that It is not human worthiness that pleases you because I don't have any of that to offer you. Your word says that what pleases you is when I turn. 
from my sin to embrace the God-sent Savior. In that you take pleasure. In that heaven rejoices. Now, here's something else that you can rest in. All of these new thoughts, all these new thoughts towards God, all of these new um, regrets over my sin, all these, this new desire for holiness and a new desire for a relationship with Christ, gang, that is all there because of the work of God the Holy Spirit within you. Gang, you would not have found those things within your soul if the Holy Spirit hadn't put them there. God is remaking us. And aren't we glad? You know, guys, um, one of the favorite, the 23rd Psalm is one of the favorites of God's people, and rightly so. There's a lot in it to love. But the one part that I love so much about the 23rd Psalm is the third verse, kind of the first part where it says, He restoreth my soul. He restores my soul. You know why He restores my soul? Because my soul was in shambles, my soul needed restoring. My soul needed rebuilding. My soul needed a brand new start with new everything. And God restores my soul. So ladies and gentlemen, I have a lot of degrees. I figured out one day that I went to school for 21 years. But I don't need any of those degrees to understand the simplicity of Ezekiel 33, 11b. Turn. Turn now. Turn back from your evil ways. Folks, you can't miss that. It clears a bell. So if you miss it, it's because you want to miss it. I don't want to hear that because I don't want to do that. Because that message here in Jesus is in Luke 13, very, very clear. But that then brings us to the pathos, the emotion of this text. I want you to notice that he says, um, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? You notice that he adds an entreaty he, he adds an appeal. And this is where 
This is where you see the pathos. Remember I said earlier that God is still speaking? And God says, Why will you die? Why do you insist on dying? Turn back. Turn back. He says it twice for emphasis. As I said earlier, it's the equivalent of repentance, which is a spiritual U-turn. Because you see, the direction of my life, the trajectory of my life is all off. My trajectory points me towards sin. But I've discovered that sin won't make me very happy, at least for long. And most of us, I think, know that. We've got the scars to prove it. So ultimately, sin produces misery. How much misery does one have to endure before we learn the lesson that sin is not my friend? Gang, how many times do we have to get burned? How many times do we have to see that Satan is a liar? And so God, in sovereign grace, while I am on this broad path that leads to my own destruction, knocks me down, picks me up, dusts me off, and turns me into a new direction. And that whole thing, ladies and gentlemen, is called repentance. And yet some of you sit here today still on a broad path that will take you to destruction. And to you, God asks why will you die why why do you choose destruction folks is that emotional enough for you God looks, God looks you in the back of your retinas and he says, why will you die? Folks, surely you know that sin doesn't please God. But the remarkable thing is 
it doesn't please us either. Does it? You know, for some of us, that came as quite a shock. Because we believe that ultimately this was the way to be happy. And then it all began to unravel. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian or not Christian in this room, I think you already know that sin is not good for you and sin has not been good to you. Why do you still choose it? Why will you die? You know, there's a line in R.G. Lee's, you've heard of R.G. Lee, who was the pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church, gosh, I guess back in the 50s or 60s or so. And he had that famous sermon about payday someday, and there's lots of lines in it that I still remember and love. But one of the lines that is in that sermon is that he says, Satan always pays off with paste pearls. Some of us have a pocket full of those, don't we? But it was that glitter. It was that sparkle that caught my eye. And I thought, this will do it. And it didn't, did it? And now I'm left with pieces. And God says to you, turn. Turn now. Why will you die? Did I hear someone say, well, Dr. Young, I, I, I will certainly pray about it. No, don't do that. Um, that is not the gospel command that you find in verse 11. It doesn't say run home and watch football all afternoon. And tonight, mate, you, you might can pray about it. There will be plenty of time to pray after you've turned. After you've embraced Christ, there'll be plenty of time for you to pray. But ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing good in unbelieving prayer. The only thing that it produces is delay. And that delay may be deadly. So says God. Turn. Is that not clear? Turn now. 
away from your wicked ways. And then he appeals. Why will you die? Folks, this is not some kind of appeal for an emotion. It's not some kind of appeal for tears or a feeling. It's not some kind of appeal for you to go get religion. It is a very simple, forthright, clear appeal for you to turn Turn to Christ. Who is the only alternative to perishing. Our Father, would you take this simple statement found in your word and use it to roll back all of the confusion and all of the mists that might exist in the minds of some so that they might see the real issue is not how we baptize, so the real issue is not the social agenda being promulgated here and there. The real issue is have I turned from my wickedness? Have I sought the only remedy for sin that exists? Christ and Him crucified. Father, would you um, make that clear this morning? And might we all be able to walk out of here today saying, yes, that remedy for my sin is the thing on which I base my whole eternity. Lord, if you brought others here who have not yet met this Savior, would you show them that it is not a pleasure to you to see the death of the wicked, and yet those who remain impenitent will experience that separation from you forever. Grant them grace now that they might turn to this gloriously beautiful Savior of ours. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.